This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company. For more information and links to all our great podcasts, visit HartmanMedia.com. Welcome to the Solomon Success Show, where we explore the timeless wisdom of King Solomon and the Bible as it relates to business and investing. False prophets and get-rich-quick schemes are everywhere. Let's not be distracted by these. Instead, let's go to the source, the eternal principles that create a life of peace, power, and prosperity. Here's our host, Jason Hartman. It's my pleasure to welcome John Dawson to the show. He is the author of Religion in Medicine, Volumes 1 and 2, and he's coming to us from uh, Newport News, Rhode Island. John, welcome. How are you? Newport News, Virginia. Oh, I apologize. Why did I think Rhode Island? We make big ships and submarines. I, yeah, I know. I've seen you on, the, on, 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 on various shows making those. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Tell us how you came to write these two books and uh, what is missing in our medical system. It's pretty significant. Ah, you got me on the rub. I've retired now, but I was in medicine for about 50-odd years. And gradually over those times, I realized that doctors are receiving no religious instruction, either in their training or neither do their professors know anything about it either. In the good old days, a patient went to the hospital. When he was in hospital, his cleric came to visit him, and his own GP came to visit him. So this meant that anybody who was looking after in hospital could know what was going on at home. Now, if you're sick, you get passed on to a hospitalist who has no contact with the cleric, who has no contact with the doctor. And this is really serious from the medical point of view because you don't know half the information you need to treat your patient. And as you know, when you hand over a patient with Ebola after he's dead, that's the first-class way of spreading the disease. Yeah, it sure is. So when did this change that the medical system stopped paying attention to patients' uh, religious needs? I really don't know, but I think it's just the pace of things. From the hospital point of view, they don't provide the same car parking space. They don't have a secretary for the clerics. They don't have a special room. They don't have a Rolodex brought up to date telling the clerics what patients they have in the hospital, etc., etc. And from the doctor's point of view, we've lost touch. We don't even teach the history of medicine nowadays because there's just so much in the curriculum that religion really quietly went out the window. That may be a totally erroneous a conclusion, but that's one way. Take us through some of the different uh, needs of the different faiths, you know, whether it be Christian, Baha'i, Hindu, Islam, Judaism, you know, etc. As you know, the Christian, the Christian routine for dying is very different from that of the Jew, is very different from that of the Hindu, is very different from the, that of the, uh, say, the Baha'i, who doesn't, won't have any cremation, and yet the Hindus, as you know, burn their dead on the edges of the Ganges. It's this sort of thing. Some people like to get their bodies underground within the first day or two after death. Some like to have a wake for a week or two. What about the non-death side of it, though? Just the, the care within, you know, within the institution. Let's assume that the patient hopefully doesn't pass on. Are there any big considerations there that are being overlooked? Well, I think it's just the comfort, sir, primarily. When a vicar comes into a hospital, if you're a patient who's well-known to him, you enjoy seeing him, and you talk about the family, and you talk about things, and you talk about your problems within the hospital. And if the doctor comes in to see you, my daughter is a GP, 
and she sometimes goes in to see her patients and it's a very good contact with what's really going on and it's of inestimable help to a doctor who really ought to be part of the team. I consider that good patient care comes from doctor, cleric and patient. That's how you get your case history properly fixed up. Right. I, I would agree. I think that patient rapport and communication and bedside manner cannot be understated. Those are important. Take one example. I had a young Roman Catholic priest who came into my ward and he said, John, I'm going to die. I know that. So this is what I want you to arrange. So we arranged uh, some candles and a little light for him to read his missal and quiet times. And if anybody saw him praying, we didn't disturb him. We arranged this, that, and the other. And we arranged for him to have his own Catholic mentor to come in and look after him. And he first he lost his eyesight, and then he lost it, which was pretty serious because he couldn't read his missal. I warned him what was going to happen to him at each phase of his disease, and he planned for it, and so forth and so on. Finally, he passed away so quietly that you hardly knew he died. It was absolutely magnificent, and that was very learning to me. The other thing was I delivered a Jewish lady and we got on a house on fire, and she said, now I must come to the brith, to which I was said, what is that? It is actually, of course, the ritual circumcision. So I went to that, and it was magnificent. And there I saw the mole who do his trick on, on the poor little infant's penis, and that con contrasted so beautifully. He did a, a quick twist of the wrist, and the circumcision was done. In the meantime, the after, same afternoon, I would be looking after my little infant pediatric cases, and I would be using an open ether mask and a bone-crushing forceps. You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, good point. What can be done to remedy the problem, and, and you know, can it be afforded from an economic standpoint? I mean, the cost of health care is just skyrocketing, you know. Can hospitals afford the extra real estate, the extra staff, and so forth? It amounts to minimal. What I think it starts with, from the medical point of view, they need to introduce sort of religion in medicine course in amongst the mix. From the hospital point of view, they need to go back to their old system. Just a few more places in the parking space. A little room and a secretary to, to look after them. Because, I mean, on a big hospital, you may have 15 or 20 vicars, rectors, whatever you may call them, pastors, Roman Catholic priests, looking after your three or 400 patient hospital. And it's pretty minimal compared to the costs of, say, a pill nowadays, which can be $15,000 just for the pill. It's very small. So all you have to do is have a change of heart and reorganize the system rather differently. Right, right. But those pills are sold by pharmaceutical companies that have huge lobbying organizations and uh, lots of clout. <laughs> that's, You're dead that's right. One, that's, that's, one, what, that's what we need more of. Yeah. The chaps who see this as a good thing and who turn on the clout. Right. I must admit, you're quite right. I'm advertising now, as you know, that's how, how you got briefed. And I find the medics really don't care, mm. a lot of them. A lot of doctors have written, say, this is long overdue, well done. But those that I consider the intelligent ones. But there are lots in the busy, busy, busy hospital where they have hospitalists. They say, which well, is just not necessary, mm. which is not true. Very good point, very good point. What other things do you want to share from your experience and um, your writings on this subject? Well, one of the things was I was working in London and we had a Sikh congregation in the east of London. And the Sikh came in and he had his head stoved in. In other words, somebody tried to make a hole in his skull. So we brought him in and we had to shave him 
so that we could lift up his skull and, and reconstitute his head. So we did that, but in the process, we had shaved him. I knew that you shouldn't shave Sikhs. That was one of the things I picked up in my, in my schoolboys. So when he came through, I explained to him that we had had to do this and why, and he was so astounded that some British clown should know anything about this that he really was, he got so excited that he would produce a silk square for me every month in the emergency room and bring it to me because I had realized that it was a fundamental criteria for a Sikh is that you don't shave your head. Mm-hmm. And so that went down very well. Then I had a Jewish tailor who medical students in the UK in those days were poor as church mice, so he said, I'll make you two pairs of pants if you swear to go for high holy days in Edinburgh, which is a very, very orthodox Jewish. So I did that. <laughs> the Lord was get pepper. But it was fascinating. And I learned the whole sort of basic story of a high holy day in Edinburgh. And I also went to high mass at the Sacre Coeur in Paris. And you see these religions, and I've seen the religions on the edge of the Ganges being taken there with Sikhs and with uh, Hindus. And if you get involved in these religious practices and then learn a little bit about it, it is so fascinating. And my two little volumes, one is the first one is mostly Western churches, and the second volume is the Eastern churches, which is, of course, very, very different and very, very useful if you're a dog. Mm-hmm. How is this um, treated around the world? I, I mean, I'm assuming the North American or even the Westernized, even in Europe, parts of the medical community just sort of ignore most of this. And uh, and in the East and uh, other parts of the world, it's considered and it's part of medicine. That's just my assumption. I have no idea if I'm right. I can only speak for the UK and five years in Australia and the US. I've been here for about 40 odd years plus and it seems to be that I suppose it's, it's fairly generic that because of the pace of science and whereas the, in the good old days you got better from, from being sick by hands-on and you did a lot of sleeping and so forth and so on, the mystics and the, the religious side of life was very important. Gradually, as the doctor got more and more tools and more and more of this and more and more power, the whole thing swung to the doctor. And so now they're the, they're the chief a rabbi and the chief priest of medicine. And so the others have been rather forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting point. I think that's what's happened. But of course, the, the crucial thing is that most areas are under-doctored, and that any doctor who is there is generally a local who knows very well what to, what to do, and who's, who's there, and who the uncles are, and who the boss of the family is, and so forth and so on, and they, they can cope. It's when the, the Westerners come in with no, no knowledge at all of what's going on in his country. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've had brilliant examples of that all over the world. If you're a member of the British Empire, you know how, the, how crass the British, British were around the world vis-a-vis lots of things. You know, I, I often um, take a little bit of issue with that criticism of the Brits because uh, they did some good. They organized a lot of the world. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, I'm not justifying empire or imperialism, but look at India today versus where India might have been without British occupation. You know, I'm just kind of I'm just kind of taking the other side of it for a moment. You know, I'm not saying it's right or anything. I'm a confirmed Briton and imperialist, but and we left a good education, we left a good legal code, and we left sort of a lot of good places as opposed 
the things we didn't leave in Iraq. Well, you, 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 you left the English language, too, which opened up a lot of opportunities. Yeah, so, yeah. it's been kind of useful. Yeah. And, of course, that's another problem. When you go abroad, you can't really discuss things very well. We don't know the language. Very interesting point. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. The books are on Amazon, but again, folks, they're not on Kindle. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping that will happen <laughs> soon. But you can get paperback and good old-fashioned hardcover. John, thank you so much for joining us today. I think they'll make good reading for, for most people. Yeah. A lot of people really have enjoyed them. Good stuff. Well, thank you much. But Jason, thank you very much for your interview. It's a real privilege. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out HartmanMedia.com for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.